John chapter 13 this morning. We had uh, youth pastor Stephen Miller with us last week. He did a wonderful job. Amen. Great message. This week, we're going to return to our series in the gospel according to John. And uh, two weeks ago, we started chapter 13, but I really only introduced where we are at contextually. And uh, we are now at the place of what is commonly called the Last Supper. It's the last meal that Jesus is going to eat with his disciples. And in, in one sense, it's not really the Last Supper, but it's the First Supper. Because what, what Jesus is doing here is he's replacing the Passover meal with what we call the Lord's Memorial Supper. And so in one sense, it's the Last Supper and that it's the last Passover. But on the other hand, it's actually the First Supper because it's what's replacing uh, the, the picture of Passover. And so uh, anyway, I don't like calling things the Last Supper, amen? Uh, I want lots of suppers. And that's the nice thing about appetite. It's always there. And... Uh, which is great. So anyway, um, that's where we're at here. We're at the place where uh, Jesus is about to go to the cross. We're at the night before his crucifixion. And, and by the way, the reason why that would replace the Passover meal is because Jesus is our Passover crucified for us. And so he became our Passover lamb. Um, Jesus here, he, he's going to begin the process of replacing the old covenant with the new. What happens to the stars when the sun comes up, well, they're still there, but the greater light drowns out the lesser light. And so in, in, in that kind of mindset here, it's not that the, the, the law isn't there. It's still our schoolmaster. It still brings us to Christ. But once a believer comes to Christ, the darkness is removed. The greater light of God's sun begins to shine, and the old covenant fades out. Amen. Remember, this is a very special portion within the book of John. For the first 12 chapters, it's all dedicated to Christ's public ministry. But from chapters 13 through 17, it's just Jesus and his disciples. And really, within all the four gospel accounts, this is a unique portion as well. There are three major discourses in the gospels um, given by Jesus. There's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. That's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And then what we call the Olivet Discourse, found in Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13 and Luke 21. And then there's this five-chapter discourse in John, which is commonly called the Upper Room Discourse. And all three of those discourses illustrate Christ's three offices. The Sermon on the Mount is Christ the Prophet. The Olivet Discourse foretells of Christ coming back as our King. And this discourse, Jesus will begin to disclose Himself as our great High Priest. Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our King. And so we see that illustrated in those. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek, which was a prophet, priest, and king. Because the next five chapters are just Jesus and His disciples, our emphasis last week was that we need to have personal, private time with God. We need times where we just get alone with God, no distractions, uh, no phones, no television, radio. And we just get alone with God and we fellowship with the Lord. We listen for what He's trying to tell us. We walk with Him. We talk with Him. We get in the Word of God and we meditate on it. We need a prayer closet. We need a place. It doesn't necessarily have to be a closet but that might be good. I don't know. But it needs to be a place where you and God meet every day. 
You need that in your life. Because these disciples are about to go through the hardest days yet of their time with Jesus. Their deliverer, their Messiah, their master is about to be nailed to the cross, put in the grave. And they need these private times with God. And that's what we need. Amen. We'll begin today by reading verses 1 through 17 again as we did last time. The Bible says in John chapter 13 beginning in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, He said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. There's a lot to be gleaned here. There's a lot of applications to be made from this portion of Scripture. I doubt we're going to get to it all. But um, even in this whole study, not just today, we just won't be able to get to it all. But this is a classic account every believer needs to study. Every believer needs to grasp this. Now, I understand uh, the whole Bible is profitable, amen. But you know what I mean. This is a portion of that I really want you to pay attention to today. It's important for every single person in here. In verse 1, we read that Jesus knew his hour was come. And when we read of of Jesus' hour in this context in the book of John, it's talking about the time of his crucifixion has arrived. His time for his death has come. Um, We've seen several verses before this point where the Bible tells us that his hour had not yet come. But now it says his hour has come. And, and we're entering into the last moments of Jesus' uh, ministry here on this earth. And, and we're, we're getting to the major purpose for why Christ came into this world. And at the end of verse 1, we read that Jesus loved His own which were in the world. And that He loved them unto the end. And, and what it means is this. He loved them as far as anyone could love them. He loved them to the uttermost. He loved them as far as you can go. The uttermost love God could show is when He sent His only begotten Son from the realms of glory, the highest point in heaven, down to the lowest point in earth to take wicked, hell-deserving sinners and bring them into the greatest of all blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Ephesians teaches us that in Christ Jesus we have been made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We who are saved have been brought up to Him. Amen. 
We covered verse 2 last time. We're not going to mess around there, so let's go ahead to verses 3 through 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now, verse 3 is very important to just introduce what's about to take place here. Um, We need to grasp this because it's important before the event of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Because what this verse tells us is that Jesus uh, is the greatest, that Jesus um, was sent from God, and that he came to accomplish a work from God and that he was going to do that. It, It tells us that he was going to fulfill that work with the Father's pleasing because it says this, he knew that he was going back to God. And, and in, to go back to God, meaning God had accepted the sacrifice of his son. And, and, and we're told here about how important Jesus is, that he's divine and that he is exalted above all others. And that's important to know because it's not going to make sense that part of the Godhead is going to humble himself and wash feet. Everybody catching this? And so we're told how exalted God is. We are first told of Jesus' holiness. Because verses 3 and 4 build in momentum, we have to be told what we just read there in verse 3. Verses um, uh, three and, or 4 and 5 there, they, they really start to build momentum. They're meant to stir the reader. It's intended to be very dramatic. In fact, I learned some more stuff today that I never knew. In English, it is called dramatic present active. How's that, brother? Amen. Didn't think I could learn that, did you? Um, Dramatic present active tense. This is is meant to stir you. It's meant to to get you into what's taking place here. Jesus, who is exalted. And then it says, um, he riseth from supper, lays aside his garment, takes a towel, girds himself, poureth water into... It's building, it's building. Is this actually going to happen? You can picture in your mind Jesus knowing he's exalted. He rises from supper and he starts to do these acts. If you watch football, it's like when uh, the announcer gets excited and he's like, he's at the 40, he's at the 35, the 30. He's at the... And you get excited because he's building this tension, building this dramatic event that's taking place on the field. And, and that's what John is doing here is he, he pins this. It's, it's building momentum. There's excitement that's beginning to build. And the best way it can be described in words is the way John is trying to tell us this one who is God in flesh, is actually going to perform the lowliest act of a servant. This is an act which none of his followers could believe that he performed. What master would stoop so low? This is the ultimate act of a servant. When David took Abigail to wife, he sent servants to go and get her. And when they arrived to her, the Bible says she arose and bowed herself on her face to the earth and said, Behold, Let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. It's humility. John the Baptist said, There's one coming after me who's preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. John the Baptist saw himself so low and Christ so exalted that he wasn't even worthy to unloose Christ's shoes. 
But Christ in his humility is going to abase himself beyond that point. He's going to condescend to men of low estate. And when Christ gets to Peter, Peter says in verse 6, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And in verse 8, Peter says, thou shalt never wash my feet. Peter is confused by the action that's taking place by his master. And, and what Peter does there in verse 8 is akin to him rebuking Christ. You're not washing my feet. And, and he, he tells our Lord this. So in verse 7, Jesus says to Peter, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. In other words, uh, Peter, there's a spiritual application in what I'm about to do, and it's not going to be long until you understand what it is I'm doing here. And really, it's going to happen when Christ rises from the grave because one of the first persons he, he even mentions is Peter. Go and get Peter. In verse 8, Jesus says to Peter, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no portion with me and you cannot sit at this table. You cannot partake of this table. Now, it's important that you get what's taking place because... It's a picture of Christ taking our sins unto Himself. I want you to really watch in your mind as this unfolds. Christ rises from the table. And in those days, they didn't have kitchen tables like we have. They had a table that was, you know, barely off the floor. And you would sit on the floor on some sort of a pillow and actually recline back on the table. And your feet would extend away from the table. A little bit different. And so He rises from the table. As he rises, he lays aside his seamless robe. And then he takes a towel and he girds that towel upon him. And with that towel, he's going to wash all the filth that is upon their feet. And because that towel is girded upon him, it's a picture of Christ taking their filthiness upon himself. He he takes their sin to himself. Everybody see that? Now, what do you think he did with that filthy towel? Well, he didn't use it again later. He got rid of the thing. It's dirty. It's filthy. And and I'll promise you that it wasn't used later on in this meal. He removes the filth from the table. Christ, in going to the cross in our place, laid aside his perfect, sinless, glorious majesty, And then he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of of God in him. And then they uh, nail him upon the cross and he takes our sins upon himself. And the sin stains were no more. Because when he rose again, God gave him a new robe white and clean. And for those of us in Christ, our sins and iniquities will He remember no more. Our sins are cast into the depths of the sea, never to be brought back up. And now we can sing, what sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. Christ emptied Himself of self, not only in washing their feet, but in going to the cross. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11 say, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I want you to notice in this example here that it's all Christ. He's the one doing the washing. They can't wash themselves clean. He has to be the one that washes our sins away. We can't work our way there, but we need Him to wash our way there. We needed one to act on our behalf, and that's what exactly what Christ has done for us. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7 say, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified... By His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's what Jesus is picturing here. He is picturing taking their sin, bringing it to Himself. But there's more. There's more here to this. It looks beyond just salvation. It's true that at the moment of salvation, we are cleansed every whit. We are justified, which means it's just as if we've never sinned. And while nothing will change our standing before God... As far as our security goes, we do sin after salvation. We still have sin. And that's the picture of the feet here. It's the filth we pick up and get on us while we're still walking in this world below. Because notice verses 9 and 10. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Just a quick side note here. It's interesting, interesting to me that just a moment ago, Peter is telling Christ you're doing too much, and now he's telling Christ you're not doing enough. There's a message somewhere there. I don't know what it is yet. We'll get to it later. But he's not grasping at all. We kind of understand that. We know how Peter was. He's like a lot of us. But I want to highlight the important aspect of this here. Peter says, Lord, if I can't have a part with you unless my feet are washed, then just go ahead and wash everything. But I want you to get what Jesus is saying here. He says, you're already washed. I just need to wash your feet. You're already clean. Obviously, with the exception of Judas Iscariot, These are saved men. And though their doctrine is not yet complete, they've already placed their faith and trust in Christ. Let me put it to you this way. Jesus is saying to Peter, once you're saved, you're always saved. You don't need to get saved again, Peter. Isn't that a blessing to know? What Jesus is saying to the 11 saved men is you've already been washed. But if you want to have fellowship with me, you're going to have to clean your feet. You're still going to have to be clean. You see, we sin after salvation and we get dirty from the world, but we cannot bring that filth into fellowship with God. 
Isn't that right? What do you do with dirty shoes when you get to your house? You don't tromp around the house with filthy shoes on. If you do that in my house, it will be the last time you do it. If you're one of my kids. But if it's my kids, I'm going to say, you're not doing that here. Amen? Uh, Isn't that what we were all taught growing up, I think? Um, Before you enter the house with filthy shoes, you usually take them off in the foyer at the door. Uh, Maybe you have some kind of mud room. You take those things off. You don't bring that stuff into the house. Uh, you, You don't go out and muck the chicken coop and in those shoes start walking around the house with all that filth and manure and everything else, bringing that into the home. You take off the filthy shoes. In fact, many of you were told this. Go wash up for supper. Right? By the way, let me just go ahead and hit this real quick. This is why when we have Lord's Supper, we have a moment of introspection so that we can get right with God because we're not to partake of the table until we are clean. Right? And so uh, we, we, we we tell our kids, go get washed up for supper. Little children especially don't want to get washed up. But get this, they still want to enjoy the blessings of the home. They want the blessings without submitting to the rules. And so what they do, or maybe what they try to do when dad corrects them, what do they do? They go to mama. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one with kids that have a rebellious spirit? Okay. They, they go to mama. Because they want to go around the father to maintain fellowship with the family. And they try to pit one against the other. But what mama needs to do at this point is say, oh, no, you don't. Me and your dad are unified. And you're going to have to submit to the law of your father. Now you go and apologize to your daddy. You tell him you're sorry. Once upon a time, it was pretty common to tell a child that was being disrespectful, you go to your room, you're not having supper at this table. Why? Because you're not welcome at this table with that attitude. You're not coming into this house with that filth and expect to enjoy the blessings of this table until you get your attitude right. Until they submitted to leadership... They stayed in their room. Eventually, they'll get hungry. Once they got their attitude cleaned, they can sit back down with us and enjoy the blessings of the table. But I got to tell you this morning, we're no different as adults. We treat God, our Heavenly Father, this way. What some are trying to do with God is they're trying to approach God while there's sin in their life. They try to get around the Father's commandment of confessing their sin, but they still want the blessing of the household of God. And in their pride, they just won't own up to their sinfulness. And unless you wash your feet, you don't get to sit at God's table. It's called hypocrisy. There's likely some in here today who are living in rebellion to God, but you still come in here to eat at our table as if everything's fine between you and God. And you know it isn't. You have dirty feet. Proverbs 14.8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, 
but the folly of fools is deceit. You see, the wise have enough character to understand their sinfulness and confess it, but a fool refuses to confess their sin to anybody. They'll stiffen their necks, they'll harden their hearts, and if I could put it this way, they just bow up. It's like trying to fix something, but there's a bolt that you can't get loose. If that bolt is clean, you can just take a rinse of that thing. It loosens right up, but you let it get covered with grime, with filth, and with rust. And now you have to take time at getting that thing loose. And you might start with a wire brush or something like that, and, and you try to remove as much as that, of that external buildup as you can as possible. You might tap on it a little bit with the wrench and, and you might try to work at it again. And, and if that doesn't work, you might get some kind of penetrating oil and you spray it on there, let it sit for a bit and work its way in. And you go back and you wrench on it again. And, and maybe you get some sort of an extension pipe and get some leverage on that thing. And, and you're trying to loosen it up. And if that doesn't work, you might even take a little bit of heat to that thing. You might get some kind of a torch. People know what I'm talking about here. Some of you, you, you take a torch to that thing. You're heating it up, uh, get, trying to get that thing to work loose. And if that doesn't work, you might just have to cut that thing off. And that's like those who in their pride hang on to their sin. And depending on how tightly you're hanging on to your filth and your grime, it's going to depend on how much pressure God is going to apply to your life. God will start by just kind of wrenching at you through the preaching of God's Word. This is easy stuff here. But when that doesn't work, God will take a wire brush and, and, and He'll start to, to rake that across you to, to get rid of that external buildup. But when that doesn't work, God begins to beat on you a little bit, trying to get you to loosen up. But when that doesn't work, God tries to use a little bit of penetrating oil to get you to loosen up. And when all of that fails, God puts his blowtorch on you to begin to try to heat you up, put you in the fire, put you through the trial to get you to let go of that sin. And when that doesn't work, God says, that's it, I've had it, and he cuts you down. Preach! You'll just swallow your pride, admit your sin, and God can easily work with you. We don't like to do that because we like to protect our pride. Amen, men. Let me prove that to you. God comes to Adam and says, Adam, who told thee thou wast naked? Well, it was the woman that thou gavest to me. Uh, she gave me and I, I ate. I I didn't know what was going on. Moses comes down. Uh, Aaron, where'd this golden calf come from? Well, I, you know, the people wanted gods to go before them, and, and they started giving me gold. And, man, I just cast that gold in the fire, and, and a calf just popped out. Well, he's a liar. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And get this, he even built an altar unto it. Many simply just don't like admitting their transgressions. And, I, and you have to understand today, sin breaks our fellowship with God. We cannot come into his presence with filthy feet. 
So what can we do? Well, we have to have our feet washed daily. We must daily confess our sins. Foot washing in those days was primarily a nighttime event. In the Song of Solomon, we read that the woman, Solomon's love, had gotten ready for bed by putting off her coat and having washed her feet. She didn't want to get back up because she said, I'll defile my feet again. And I would tell you this, in the morning when you rise, you need to pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation. But I'll tell you, before you lay your head down at night, you need to pray and confess all your sins. Get cleansed every night. Lay your head down at night knowing that you're right with the Father. James 4, 8 through 10 says, Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. This requires us to be honest with God concerning our sin. Psalm 51, verses 6 and 7 say, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. God wants us to live holy lives. But when we fail, God wants us to be honest with Him about our sin and confess our sin, call it what it is, and ask Him for forgiveness. 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 10 say, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. For God's blessing to be upon us, we're going to have to confess our sins. Now, the good news is if we do that, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He doesn't go, but I thought you already did that a couple years ago. We can see revival once we get real with God about who we are, crying out to Him for forgiveness. Honest people will do honest introspection. And they're big enough to ask for restitution. James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, He is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way. And straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. In other words, he doesn't change. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Once we get real about who we are, about our sinfulness against a holy God, then the Bible is no longer just a book about some deity. It doesn't just tell the story about God, but the Bible becomes the means by which we get cleansed. We get washed by the Word. People say, how do I get better? Prayer and reading the Word of God. It washes you. Speaking of the church, Ephesians 5, verses 26 and 27 say that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. 
that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle nor any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Do you need to get some things right today? It's the only way you can have fellowship with the Father at his table. Are there any dirty feet in here today? The Bible says in Hebrews 10.22, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I want to pray, and I want you to do business with God today. You need to leave out of here clean. Don't come in here as you are and leave as you were. But come in here, get your feet cleansed at the altar. You come and get right with God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for this account that teaches us that you took our sin to yourself. But that it also goes beyond that, and it shows us that if we want to have fellowship around your table, we're going to have to confess our sins to you. And we trust, Father, that... When we do, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, Father, if there's any here today that are walking around with dirty feet in the sanctuary, I pray that this would be the day that they would just get right with you and that they wouldn't be like that uh, stubborn bolt trying to get it loose, but that they would just get right. But, Lord, you do as you see fit now. I ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.